Welcome to Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast where you get to follow along with a client in real therapy sessions. And you'll hear two licensed psychotherapists. That's us. Breaking it down afterwards, so you get a look behind the curtain. In this episode, you guys will get to know us a little bit more, including our nicknames and bad fashion choices. You'll also get to know Andrew a little bit more during his second session with me and hear some of his patterned thinking. And in the breakdown afterwards, we'll talk about balance and vulnerability in Andrew's life and the importance of self-care for all of us. So stick around. Welcome. This is Meredith Levy. And this is Doug Friedman. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. Dougie. Hello, Mary. So don't you ever do that? You know, it's funny because I was trying to think of what I used to call you and the things in my head. And I don't know if I actually ever called you any of these were Myrtle. Yes. uh, Mare dog. Yeah. Oh my God. Mare dog. Yeah. I forgot about that name. But I don't think I ever used any of those. I think I always just called you Meredith. Yeah, probably. Which is a long name that I want to shorten. But every time I say it, it's just easier and short enough just to go, hey, Meredith. Very few people call me Mare Mare. That's right. Yeah. I get M sometimes. I get mm. Mare. And then Myrtle, very old, old school. Um, <laughs> and then I get either Mega or Megadeth because I think it was maybe Derek Dunze. I'm not sure. It was someone at Oakwood that tortured me. Probably Derek. Yeah. He used to call me Megadeth because it rhymed with Meredith, yep. but it was like Mary Death you know, or mega death. And then as I got older, it became like cool. (laughs) So now people either call me mega death or mega. That's funny because I think I was into mega death when I was a kid. Yeah. Like the whole Metallica and mega death were feuding and broke up and one of them formed mega death Uh and then the rest stayed and were Metallica. Right. I was so into like that metal and that Hesher and that, that, that vibe. Yeah. When I was a little kid. I went to a mega death concert not that long ago. Really? Yeah. Like a few years ago. Wow. Were you actually into Megadeth? No. No. It was just like, people call me that, so let me go check it out. Yeah. I've often asked people if they could teach me how to Dougie. (laughs) Fuck yeah. I'm really bad at it. When I was working in the inner city, one of my clients, oh my God, I just remember this very distinctly, would teach me like whatever the new like thing was. And he was just like, damn, you are so white. And I was like, I know, but let's just do it anyway. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I was a much better dancer when I was younger. Like I used to break dance and pop lock. What in the fuck? Yeah. I had my own little slice of cardboard and my parachute pants. I I can't do that shit now. How do you know? How do I know? Have you tried? Not in the last few years. Well, I'm going to buy you some parachute pants (laughs) and we could probably find you some cardboard. I don't know. That Cardboard is, was tough to come by back then. That is so rad. Yeah. I can still do the centipede. Really? No, the worm. The worm. The centipede something different. Ooh, so, I don't want to do the centipede. No. So, <laughs> that's disgusting. So my niece is really badass at doing the worm. So I thought I would try it. This is like a few months ago. Wow. It's a whole new world with boobs. Wow. Having, doing it with boobs. If you're not like super strong and used to doing it. Right. That should right. just hurt. Yeah. It's tough on my pecs. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be so good at it. They call me early bird because I always got my, I don't know, man, I'm so <laughs> That lame. was great. Right? 
So a couple of questions did come up. And I think one of them is, how do you know when a session is over? And did we talk about this already? Time frame? I, I don't do 50 minute sessions. I do 60 to, I have no boundaries. 62? 60. Like an hour and two minutes? Sometimes. Right. I do six zero. And then because I have no boundaries, sometimes I'll do 70. And then I'll look at the clock and be like, oops, sorry, shit. Hope your meter didn't expire. Um, <laughs> I don't know where the arbitrary 50 came from. I get having the extra 10 minutes to, really? for yourself. Explain that to us. Which part? The extra 10 minutes for yourself. Well, what does that mean? Theoretically, we're supposed to have 10 minutes in between to maybe eat something, clear our minds, go to the bathroom, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it might be going to the bathroom, might be getting something to eat. It's also writing a note about, yeah. you know, what we just did so I can remember yeah. some of that. Yeah. I've got pretty good recall, but never hurts to have it yeah. right then fresh and to read the one for the next. Right. Which no, is another yeah. question that we got too. Do you write notes or how do you know yeah. where you are? How do you know what you talked about? Right. Yeah. And I actually write notes during session. So I have my clipboard sits on my lap. Do you really? Yeah. It's right here. See it. And, but what I do is, so I sit there every, every session, not just the first session, every session. I usually will just jot down a few notes and then I put it aside. And then if something big comes up, like, okay, remember this for next week, then I'll pick it back up and write it. But to be honest, I don't want to have to worry about it later. No one's ever called me on it. What do you mean have to worry about it? Doing a note later. Oh, oh, oh. you're talking about, you know, what you write during a session. So when the session's over, you've already noted what you need to know. Yeah. Interesting. Because other, I remember, remember when we were working in the county and our notes were due? Oh yeah. Oh God. Brutal. You were, first of all, you were horrible with them, weren't you? Absolutely You were months, but you got in trouble. I did get in trouble. In fact, I used to tell, when I ran a program, I would tell my staff who fell behind, one weekend I had to come in and do, this is true. I remember. 81 notes yep. on a Saturday and yep. 53 notes on I a Sunday. I remember that. Holy yep. shit. Yep. I remember that. And I think I thought, well, you have a good method going. So I followed you, your method for a couple months till oh. I realized I was so <laughs> fucked. And that's why I'll never get behind again, ever. Yeah. So one person once ever asked me, are you going to take notes in all of our sessions? Right. And I said- I mean, normally, but I don't have to. And that was it. Some people I think are used to it. But for me, it's about, I usually remember things anyway. And people say like, how do you remember everything? I don't know. I just do. I find you interesting. I love my work. I want to help. Like I remember that ex you talked about three years ago. Well, also we're, we're hearing one hour of their lives once a week. And it's a very intimate, vulnerable hour. Right. So we get a, a lot of great stuff for a week. If we were, you know, chatting every week about, you know, the local sports team, right. things like that, this movie that came out, it might not be as memorable, but things that they do hit, we remember. And I think our brains are kind of geared for that because that's how we, how we listen and how we're shaping things. And we're constantly looking for where we want to take them and where we want to go with them and, and anything that they give us that will help along the way, we're going to remember and keep with us, right? Right. For sure. Yeah. And then one other question that you guys sent us that stood out to me was, um, how do you prevent burnout? And which Mm. is interesting because that comes up in, in the upcoming session. And, you know, that is the eternal question, not just for therapists, but for everybody. Burnout, it's hard, man. Me personally, I love working. I work 
I'm told too much. I don't really care. I (laughs) do have a lot of self-care. I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I have less quote unquote responsibilities than other people. I make sure that I exercise. I do yoga. I hike. I do whatever boxing. That's fun because I want to take care of myself and feel good. And then I also spend a lot of time with my family. Sometimes Doug's dog. (laughs) Who's sleeping on the couch right now. But yeah, I think finding balance, what that means to me is going to be different than what that means to everyone else. I never stop unless I've done a thousand things in the day, then I feel good stopping. Hmm. Otherwise, you know, it's hard for me to just do nothing on a Saturday. It's happened before. I heard you say something that stuck out for me Mm -hmm. and I know it's important to you. So I'll bring it up not to be that guy, but but because I know you're that girl. But this is us in real life. That's right. We don't, I don't know about you, but I don't turn my therapist hat on. No, it's, it's just how I hear things and how I think of things. And that's why I think for us, this job comes very naturally because that's how we're geared. Exactly. You said I have less responsibilities. Well, that's why I air quoted it, but I guess you guys didn't see the air quotes. It's also fewer responsibilities. Oh, it's what's quantifiable and not. So you have less stress and fewer responsibilities. You could have said, I have less responsibility. So you're doing the grammar. That's right. Okay. But I'm only doing that because I appreciate it. Right. It's important to you. It is important to me. Busting you like, hey, no, no. Now that you say it, I feel like an idiot. So thank you. I did my job then. Thank you for putting that. (laughs) I also could be wrong. No, I think you are Um, correct because now it doesn't sound right. Right. I mean, it it sounds, uh, people make that mistake all the time. And it's one of my dropouts from UCLA was based on communication not being what it's supposed to be. Um, So I had um, a Buddhist professor in an intro to Buddhism course. We were reviewing the midterm exam, which I got a 96 on. So I did pretty well. I missed one question and it was translating certain Sanskrit and Pali terms to English and vice versa. And there was the term Karuna, which means compassion. And I correctly wrote compassion. And I was curious as to why I got marked off. So when we got to that, and he said, Karuna, which means compassion. I was looking at it. And then he said, one of you spelled that word wrong in your own language. And I've got super sloppy handwriting. But oh. I was like, wait, but you knew I got the word right. So I, I translated it yeah. correctly. And I was, you know, a punk ass theater major sitting in the back, you know, with my theater friends and threw my hand up and was like, well, you know, actually that was me. But didn't you teach us that the Buddha learned the dialect of every place that he Ooh. went to speak? Do you think he actually got every word right that he used? Damn. And, you know, and, and everybody in the class was like, oh, damn, yeah, yeah. looking back at me and, and, you know, and I was kind of challenging him. And I even said, well, you spelled a word wrong on, in your language on the board right behind you, which <gasps> you did. Um, and I was just, you know, yeah. again, punk ass pointing yeah. out the hypocrisy and all that. Right. True. What happened? And, uh, well, I walked out of the class and then dropped out pretty much. Good job. I actually stood up and said, well, the Buddha would have given me credit. And he said something like the Buddha's not here. And I said, clearly. And I walked out. Nice. Yeah. A few people walked out also, which wow. I thought was bizarre. I mean, it might've just been my theater friends that were like, let's get out of sure. here. I showed up for the final. I aced it. Oh. I did great. And uh, ironically, I later became a religious studies major. Right. Wow. Which even the greatest irony is maybe a decade later when I went back to UCLA, I was taking an upper division Buddhism course. The professor in that course remembered not that interaction, but he remembered that professor and was like, oh, he was really rigid. He didn't last in our department. But I remember that 
that quarter was my very first quarter as a TA, as a graduate student. I, and I remember him clearly. And we all had problems with him. Wow. And I said, yeah, see, he had nothing to teach me. And then he kind of looked at me and said, well, he did teach you. Yeah. You good know, one. Came full circle. So true. There we go. It's a great story. Thank you. Wow. I've got three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, one of the things you're going to hear in the session coming up are a lot of analogies that I use, a lot of stories that I tell, metaphors, and it's kind of a a tool that I like to use because it's so much easier, I think, to see things objectively, not subjectively. If you're able to look at it as external, it makes more sense sometimes. You know what I mean? Yes, I'm a big fan of examples, metaphors. Now, all that stuff I think is very helpful. I ask for examples a lot from people because if I don't know exactly what you mean and you can maybe couch it into something else or share mm-hmm. an example with me, for me, that's very helpful. Right. Yeah, I, I, I love it because it gives the client a way to take the pressure off of themselves, right? Especially if they're looking at something else you know, again, you just see it objectively. It makes more sense. Some of the time there's even a a clinical approach called narrative therapy, where you make something external and about something else, you know, you you give it a different name or or you, I mean, you can't see me gesture, but I keep pushing like (laughs) over there, something external, something out there. I love narrative. I love that part of it. Right. Right. It's really useful because we get so stuck in our own heads and our own selves that we can't see anything with that objectivity. So I will talk about these either analogies or I'll talk about another client that I've worked with in the past, um, which I think I also pull in later in the this session that you're going to hear because it helps highlight something that might mean something for them, but it won't click if you just talk to them about the actual thing they're going through. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And in a way, that's sort of the meta of why we're doing this podcast is so you guys can listen to somebody's session and maybe pull what somebody else Mm -hmm. is going through and apply it to yourselves. Yep. Let's listen to it so we can come full circle back to that because I did that. Awesome. Let's do it. Here you go. We're still getting to know each other, but there's a picture that you present Mm -hmm. to people that's not inaccurate right. in any way, but mm-hmm. it's just a snapshot of how you are at this time. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I'm trying to balance out the both of those of figuring out because I don't feel like a, a projection of look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. It's just always just kind of been like, yo, I like rings. I like tattoos. Like it, It's been my own my own organic way of becoming who I am. Yeah. Um, but the flip side of that is like, I've realized that I do now have to be very careful about that. And while I work a certain way and I, I do certain things, I had to be very careful about what that looks like because of how I dress and how I look and that cool guy perspective. Right. You know, I have to tone that down to a certain degree and really let people see the vulnerability that I actually have. Mm. And so I'm trying to mix the two. And last night was actually a really cool like way of, of seeing it for my own self is like, I fit in with these people, but then I started talking to them and they realized that I wasn't there to see them. I was there just to get to know them. Because like I was always... I wouldn't say nervous or timid, but it was, I always felt like that wasn't my lane to be in. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I don't want to say I wasn't good enough for it, but I never really expected, like, I always guess I asked why me, you know, like other people, 
are famous and celebrities and, and live that lifestyle. I, I never really thought that like I fit into that. And, and recently I've kind of realized that like, it doesn't matter the fame, the stardom, any of that, like these are people, you know? And like, absolutely, yeah. I, I've really struggled, especially since I've been here of finding who, who I fit in with. And I don't necessarily mean like celebrities themselves. Cause like I get closer with management and teams and, and the people on the sure. back end than I do with the actual face. Yeah. And so I, I don't mean like, like the head guy celebrity. I mean the whole team, like that's who I fit in with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like being on the back end, you know, like people ask me to walk the red carpet with them. I was like, eh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to walk behind it. Like I don't want pictures. I don't need any of that. Right. But it was nice just to be able to sit down and talk with people. You know, on a whole level of, of what's up, like how you doing, you know? Yeah, that's. I love that because when when you talk about fitting into that lane, there's that lane of celebrity or that lane of what something is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good that you don't fit into that lane. I mean, I know like mm-hmm. if it's thrust upon us, sometimes you can't help it. Right. Even the people that over time, you know, if they're acting and they wanted it, they look for it and they then they might get to a point and they go, wait, but who am I? Right. You know, and who's around me? Because everybody's treating me differently. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I think that idea for you, and you said a couple of key words. You said vulnerability and you said balance. Mm-hmm. And I love those. Those are big buzzwords, of, mm-hmm. you know, for me. Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> that vulnerability is really just a way of going, let me let me just be real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, that, if somebody sees that as weak or you're not doing it, that's on them. Mm-hmm. But for me, that vulnerability means that's that's strength. Right. This is what I've been through. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. And that balance is big. Right. You know, that's going to be a theme for us, mm-hmm. especially because how you connect with people, you said, is that 24-7, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. are we always on? Are we always doing something? Mm-hmm. Okay, we can do that and not burn out right. if we truly find balance. Right. And, and I think that's the struggle with me right now is finding that balance of not burning out. Because I feel like I have been going so fast, so all the time that I haven't had that second to stop and be like, okay, who am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? How am I getting there? How do I see myself getting there? And, and the full process, you know, cause I mean, people change every day. All, and like, you should, like, I, I'm not the guy I was a year ago. I'm not the guy I was five years ago. Right. I'm not gonna be the same guy in five years. And so to, to our conversation last week of like, where do I see myself in five years? Yep. I really thought more about like, the full process of getting there hmm. and kind of what that looks like, like on a day-to-day level, on, on a month-to-month level and on a year-to-year level. Hmm. And, and I think it really resonated with me where it's like, like if I can be who I want to be every day, days will turn into weeks, which will turn into months, which will turn into years, which then I'll find myself where I want to be in five years. Yeah. And I have that in goal, but I think I need to get back to the day-to-day stuff yeah. where it's like, I'm just slowing down and figuring out like what's really important. Right. I had a big revelation with my girl the other day. I had, a, I had a really long like discussion with her on I'm the emotional one in this relationship, which mm. is kind of like a flip to the norm. But I had that conversation. I'm like, yo, I'm the emotional one. You're not. And like, I need a certain level of like you stopping and telling me you love me and and, and just slowing down a little bit. And, and that kind of clicked with me. I was like, shit, I, I do need that, which is like, yeah. It's not that I'm asking for like full attention all the time, but I need that like break, that 10 second stop where like I know I still have that connection because we talk where it's like I'm either 100% in, 100% out. Yep. I don't, or nothing. Yep. I, I don't have that middle ground. And you so, do. You haven't found it. Right. 
Yeah. And I don't know how to deal with that middle ground yet. You know, I, I don't know right. really what that looks like. Yeah. For most people, it's not comfortable. We like things to be black or white. Yeah. Black or white. Yeah. Anything that's gray makes us uncomfortable because it's gray. I don't know. And, and that I don't have control here. What's going on? And, and unknowing, all of those things are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But most of life happens in the gray. Right. Very little is truly black or white. Right. And when we make it so, it's we set ourselves up. Because mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's either black or white, anything other mm-hmm. is not good. Then I'm out. It's horrible. We can't take it. Right. I'm out. Yeah. Right. It's, Shut down. Exactly. You know, get out. What you're talking about is with balance, with talking to your girl, you know, in this way, it is about finding that middle for mm-hmm. sure and finding that gray and kind of navigating through it, giving yourself that experience of that, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. But it's truly, especially in a relationship about intimacy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not talking sex. I'm talking right. real intimacy, which is based in that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And with vulnerability comes that risk to be honest and open. Mm-hmm. And we need that to be reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I think the thing I've been struggling, like the reason that whole conversation with me and her came up was we're both busy, you know, and I get that, like that, that we work a lot. I don't go out with you. I don't know what that looks like. And me coming from where I come from and everything, it's really hard for me. Like, I want you to go out and have fun. I never want to control you and tell you not to. But on the flip side of that, it's like super scary because it's like, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. You know what it looks like to you, but you don't maybe you don't know what's going on or where it leads. Right. Right. right? And, and there's something unsettling about that. There is. Yeah. And in previous relations, not my last one, the one before that, I mean, I was cheated on with my best friend. And so, like, I have like, that, like previous stuff that goes on. And so, like, now I'm struggling because it's, like, she's never done me dirty and, like, she's, like, the best ever. And so it's, like, I'm trying not to bring up past stuff and put it in this. But it's really hard not to because we are going so fast and I don't get to see her that much. And so it's, like, basically what I'm trying to say is, like, that conversation came from, like, I haven't seen her in, like, three weekends. And I'm not going to see her for three weekends. And so I was, like, yo, we need to slow down. Like, I need you. I don't need the uh, the reassurance. I don't, I don't need that. I just need you to be able to tell me, like, we're cool. You know, because, like, I, on a certain level, I need that. Yeah. And I, I don't think I should need that, but I do. I mean, the insight that you have into that is phenomenal. You know, and it's something you should definitely bring up with your therapist and talk about. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. <laughs> because what, it goes back to that separation from mom, right. you know, at school. Like, I, I don't like that feeling. I don't know that I'm okay on my own. Yeah. And yes, that is something for you on your own. We will strengthen. Mm-hmm. That will take some time because right. you have previous frames of reference for that and what that's like and mm-hmm. attachments to people and, and everything that, that helps you know, yeah, I'm okay. Okay, good, good, good. Mm-hmm. We will strengthen that. Right. In the meantime, mm-hmm. while you're working on yourself and doing that, you recognize like, yeah, in a, in a relationship, in order to feel comfortable in the relationship and feel secure... I like reassurance mm-hmm. and, you know, let, letting her know I need some of that reinsurance. Mm-hmm. It's not like we can't go six weeks with not having a weekend together. Right. That's okay. We can do that. Mm-hmm. Here's how we can do that successfully. Right. And that might change in time. Yeah. But for right now, here, here's what it is. Yeah. And I think that's what I need, you know? And, and so we had that conversation and like, and this was like a couple of days ago. You know, like How was period. that for you, just just telling her that stuff? I think starting the conversation was really hard. I didn't know how to start, and I didn't really know where to go with it. 
Mm. And so like, I feel like in conversations like that, I kind of go on autopilot, mm. if that makes sense. And, and I kind of, like, I know what I want to say and I say it. It's really hard just to sit like and, and talk about all that stuff. I was comfortable with it. I was worried about what she would say, but I wasn't, I wasn't like distraught over it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like a huge worry conversation. It was just like, I need to have this conversation. I need, I need you to understand where I'm coming from because you're not in my head. You have no idea how I think. And you have no, like you have no idea how I feel. That's awesome. Yeah. I, mean, that, I think that's beautiful because yeah. that that's true intimacy in a relationship right. is being able to communicate something that's real for you. Yeah. And how you were doing that and, and just the need to that. You don't know what's going on in my head and I want you to know. Mm-hmm. And I hear that also underlying is, and I don't know what's going on in your head and right. I want to know that. Yeah. Yeah, right? definitely. Because having some sense of that and having a little more control in a situation will put me at ease. Right. Right. And that's, I think, perfectly acceptable in a relationship, especially mm-hmm. because that's where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how you grow in the relationship is mm-hmm. you, you have some of those reassurances now. Sometimes they're verbal, sometimes they're actions. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you won't need them as much, but you might recognize that each other likes some of that. So you start doing some of that. Right. And, right? and I think that goes into like the little things, you know, I think the little things are the big things. And and now like one, now that we're settling down and we're really getting in our groove, it's like, like the little things kind of stopped. And, and that mm-hmm. was another thing I kind of brought up. It's like, I mean, random examples, but like it's important, I guess, to me. It's like in the middle of the night, waking up, and before she'd be like, "Oh, are you thirsty? We'll get you some water." Now it's like, "Go get your own water." Mm. You know what I mean? And, sure. And so it's very, like, it's a very minute thing, but it's a. I think it's a. It's bigger, for for whatever reason. Yeah, and it's. In the beginning, those are things that show us, oh, they're thinking about us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I matter to them. Mm-hmm. I'm a priority, you know? Absolutely. I, I'm on their mind, and that feels good. Yeah. And it's something that a lot of times in relationships get gets taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And we need sometimes to reinforce those positive things. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we usually don't even call attention to it until it doesn't happen. And then we're calling attention to a negative thing. Hey, you don't get me on water anymore. What the fuck? Yeah. What we don't do in almost the same way to call it to attention is to go, hey, you know, I really loved when you brought me water in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. It's just one of those little things that show me that you're thinking about me and it it feels nice. Yeah. Period. Stop. End. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to become a discussion or an issue. It's just floating it out there. Mm -hmm. Right. The more we do that, the more, you know, we log that and we have an opportunity to give our partner something that they might need or want Mm -hmm. that feels good Mm -hmm. right yeah and that's it's just something to take note of but as soon as we you know mention it in the hey you don't do this anymore yeah it's an accusation or or it's a you know it's like blaming yeah and that's not fun for anyone no and it it puts somebody on the defensive right where they're trying to explain why something is different or why they didn't do something and and make it okay somehow but they miss the part of at one time this was really nice And I really like this and I miss it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like we're in a really good spot and like, I've never felt so comfortable with somebody across so many different levels. Mm. It's just like, there's these certain instances where it, it makes me like take a step back, you know? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Am I in love with who I think you are? Or I actually am in love with you? Cause I've been like tricked to a certain extent before. And mm. so like bringing that back, it's like, I think I'm, I'm just constantly bringing back, stuff that's not true. How so? 
again, like when she goes out, I get like these crazy like worries and fears and like, what's she really doing? Is she like tricking me? Is she out with people or is she really just out with like her friend? Like what's really going on? And it's like, that's on me. Cause like, she's like, mm-hmm. I know, like, I know what she's doing, you know, but, like, and she's not doing me dirty by any means, like by any means. Right. But those thought processes are still there. And it's like, when I'm alone, like about to go to sleep, that's what I'm thinking about. And I shouldn't be, you know? So it's like, yeah. And, and here's a, and let me jump in for a second with a couple of tweaks here that we can do to strengthen ourselves. Yeah. Those thoughts come up and they shouldn't. Well, the thought just comes up. Mm-hmm. You can't control that. You know, there, there's a Buddhist saying, the thought arises. Mm-hmm. We don't have ownership over it. The thought just comes up. Mm-hmm. It's a thought. Mm-hmm. That's what our brains do. And especially when we're dreaming, we talked a little bit about night terrors. And we have, th- those are unconscious things right. that come up into your brain and just kind of play around for a while. Mm-hmm. In our conscious life, in our waking life, thoughts arise all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to say there's three stages to it. The thought arises. It's one stage. Then do we take it and entertain the thought? Mm-hmm. Do we think about it? Do we analyze it? Do we, you know, even just look at the fantasy of it and what that might be, good or bad, right? right? That's the entertainment mm-hmm. phase of mm-hmm. it. Third phase is action. Do we take an action based on that thought? That first stage is completely out of our control. Mm-hmm. The thought just arises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. We can't stop thoughts from coming. It's a, a sort of Zen philosophy on that in psychology is you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to ride. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So those thoughts will come up. Okay. Entertaining. That's human nature to do that. Sometimes Mm -hmm. entertaining thoughts. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We can strengthen that to some degree. It's really hard to have a thought arise and do nothing with it. Let Mm -hmm. it pass. I mean, there's forms of meditation that just let those things come and pass and cool you're just you're good you're, you're that blade of grass in the wind just swaying around that's cool that's not necessarily how we live or how we function especially when you're in a 24 7 world right and you're constantly on the move mm-hmm. and you need connection you need this and thoughts pop up and what do you do you're going to entertain them to some degree for sure mm-hmm. it's looking at we have more control than we think over how we entertain those thoughts you know yeah. and a lot of times our brains will do the what if game now, well, what if she's doing this? What if that's happening? What if she goes here? What if somebody does this? And we almost always what if negative things. Yeah. We don't balance it. There's that word again mm-hmm. with what ifing positive things. Mm-hmm. What if she's out there and is thinking of me? What if she sees something that reminds her of me and she smiles? What if she's taking a picture of something and about to text it to me? Mm-hmm. You know, we have no idea. And I can see you smiling because yeah. even that thought is like, oh, that, that'd be cool. Yeah. But we don't, and I'm just talking about the thoughts that come up. Right. We don't do that. We right. play the what if game by the wrong rules because we're yeah. just negative thinking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One trick is to kind of look at, can we balance that? Mm-hmm. Can we throw in some positive what ifs and see what happens and see if our brains reach a certain level of balance and equilibrium with just entertaining it? Mm-hmm. Where we have, I think, absolute control most of the time mm-hmm. is action. Do we take an action? Am I going to call her out? Mm-hmm. Am I going to text her? Am I going to beat her up when she comes home? Right. You know, it's any of those things determine more our character because of the action that we're taking. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The entertaining thing is more internal because not everybody gets to see that. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? I've never even thought about the fact that good and bad, you know, I, I've, mm. I've always gone to the negative. 
Sure. Because I think me personally, I always prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yep. But I still have to prepare for it. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the negative isn't, it's not like a blame game. It's more like an internal, like, if this did happen, how am I going to react to it? Right. You know, and so like, even, even though I know nothing's going on, if it did, for whatever reason, then I'm already prepared for it. And so I think it's more of a self-defense thing right? than an actual blame game. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I'll give you one of my wife's lines for this because mm-hmm. it's brilliant. Before I do that, I'll give you kind of an example I like to use with things like this. I don't know if you've ever gone camping, probably mm-hmm. in the old days of being out in Hell Canada. Yeah. Right? Like, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know that. So there's, there's two guys you can take with you camping. Mm-hmm. One guy has all the gear. Total gearhead has like this satellite GPS will never get lost. You know, has the, the little drops you can put in the water. To, you know, <laughs> has every possible thing you can imagine. He's got it. Yeah. The other guy is like a former Green Beret that can kill a bear with a blade of grass. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he's just going to show up. Yeah. Right. Which guy do you want to go camping with? I'm taking the Green Beret guy. Why? Because if anything were to go bad, like he's already prepared for everything. How's he prepared? Because that's the guy with all the gear over there. Yeah, but technology fails. Right. You know, it's like right. that guy's got, you can go cut down a tree and build a house out of it. Whereas yes. That guy has, like, if anything goes wrong with him, like his technology for whatever fails. Right. Yeah, then you're both screwed. Right. Absolutely. And the reality is, yeah. well, two realities. One is that it's a spectrum. It's not an either or. Right. So it's not the black or white. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. some gray uh-huh. or a little bit of both. Uh-huh. The other reality is our brains want to be the dude with all the gear, want to prepare for everything. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, what you were talking about is I want to be prepared for everything. You know, I want to know that I can handle the worst case scenario. I want to know, you know, so what what could it be? Okay. So if it's this, then I'll do this, this, and this. And then, Mm -hmm. and it's fucking horrible. You get incredible anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a a line from Mark Twain. I swear I'm not well-read, but I just, (laughs) Um, Mark Twain says, I've suffered a great many catastrophes in my life none of which have come true. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing we're talking about. Like I'm preparing for the worst in all these things. Whereas, you know, you look at the green beret dude and he's like, my preparation is me. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to be okay. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I will handle whatever comes up when it comes up. But the dude with all the gear, the preparation that we take, the, the, the anxiety and the catastrophes that we put ourselves through, Mm -hmm are so exhausting. Mm -hmm. They take such a toll on us when the event itself, no big deal. We can handle it. Right. Right. So my wife's line was, is this thing really a threat? Mm -hmm. Is this thing really unsafe? Mm -hmm. Or does it remind you of a time when you felt unsafe? Mm -hmm. And if it just reminds you of the time that you felt unsafe, can you also remember that you survived and got through it? Right. That's good. Yeah. It's a great one because chances are in those moments when, when the thought arises and you're entertaining it, you you feel unsafe in that moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. You know, it goes to back to separation anxiety as a little kid. Mm-hmm. I feel unsafe. It reminds me of like, oh, I'm unsafe, even unconsciously. I don't mm-hmm. think every time you don't hear from the girl, you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a little four-year-old kid right now. Where's my mom? Right. 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 But your brain does. Mm-hmm. It has that neural pathway connected and it goes to that place. Mm-hmm. I think going back to the, that being a little kid thing is like, I've never, I've always dealt with all of those situations lifetime wise by myself. 
And so I've never had the ability to like lean on anybody on any extent. And right. so it's always been a mind game. It's always been like a what if. And I think that's why I prepare because like all I have is me in it. And so it's like I always have to like take care of me you know, first. And I think the only way I've ever done that is preparing for the worst and, and, and figuring out what that looks like first hmm. and then realizing it's okay. But right. but to your right. point, it's like it's always been okay. It's yeah. o- it's always been okay, you know. And yeah. I'm still here and I'm still breathing and I'm st- I'm still doing okay, you know. So like I don't think I think it's a, a majority of like I just don't know how to deal with it, you know. Like those thoughts that come up, I just let them run and run and run and run. And the next thing I know, I'm having a panic attack and like freaking out and and sweating and and having a horrible time over nothing, right? You know, over at like absolutely, it's just a thought. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, thoughts are deadly sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're wonderful sometimes too, but as you're talking about that, it's your brain goes down a certain ski trail, knows, knows this neural pathway, does this thing, and it's rewarded you mm-hmm. so far by keeping you going. Mm-hmm. You're still breathing and doing pretty well, mm-hmm. right? But what we're trying to create, like, I don't know what to do in those moments. What we're creating, we're carving a new pathway. Mm-hmm. We're looking at, oh, well, I can do positive what ifs. Let me throw that into the mix and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it'll happen over time. It's not just like... Boom, we got it. Right. You know, now yeah, look <laughs> at you, you're Mr. Positive or Mr. Accurate Thinker and like <laughs> going down that middle way all the time, like cool. Yeah. No, it, it, it takes some practice, right. but your frame of reference for things is based on what your life experience has been, mm-hmm. how your brain makes sense of things to this point. And mm-hmm. we're talking about tweaking that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, and and like the biggest thing, I mean, even just like talking about it, it's like I've already my perspective's already shifted. You know, so it's like I have in my entire life has never even thought, what if you play the what if in a good way? Yeah. I've like I've never even like heard anybody say that. I've never thought about it. I've never even brought that into my frame of reference. Right. So like even that little change, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Like it's logical. Yeah. And it and it makes sense. And it can make sense as we sit here and think about it. Yeah. It won't make sense next time the thought pops up for right. you. Right. But if the thought pops up for you and you sort of think about positive what ifs, mm-hmm. and then you do that again mm-hmm. and again and again, then it will pop up and it will make sense in those moments. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a muscle that we have to exercise, that yeah. we have to get used to. And I have to do it more often than just once in a while, you know? If we can, yeah. Mm-hmm. We also have to have compassion for ourselves and go, wow, I've had 24 years of doing it this way. Mm-hmm. I can't just switch all of a sudden. Right. It's a process. Yeah, absolutely. You're are you right-handed? Yeah. Okay. If I said, okay, brush your teeth left-handed from now on. Like, <laughs> I mean, even go home tonight yeah. and try to brush your teeth left-handed. <laughs> you know, whether you've got electric or not, it's gonna feel weird yeah. holding it. Yeah, because you're not right? used to it. Even okay, put your watch on your left hand yeah. for a few days because you wear it on your right. Right. That switch off is gonna feel weird. Yeah. Anything. And I see your face. Yeah, like you're so, like, oh no, no. Because no. I, I, I get it. Like I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like it's because it's weird, you know, it's it's not normal, but I know, because I can see that brushing my teeth with my left hand, like I've broken my wrist before. So it's like, I've gone through that process of like, I know <laughs> right. exactly how that feels. Right. But I also saw like I did it for a month and then I got really good at it. Yeah. And that's, that's normal is normal to us. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And there are so many things that become normalized. Mm-hmm. And we don't even recognize it as such because it's just how we had to go through things and how we had to survive things, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I used to work with kids down in South Central, 
And I'd go to their house and there'd be yellow tape around like the neighbor's house, or I'd have to drive through like a block or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd see them and go, oh yeah, so-and-so got shot and the ghetto birds were out all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, helicopters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, my, my roommate's from South Central, so. Great. Totally. And then totally this, this is where that shit went down, yeah, right? Yeah. And it, a lot of times the kids would just go, oh yeah, don't worry, Doug, it's normal. And I go, no, 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 no. That's right. That's not normal. It's incredibly traumatic and it feels unsafe. But in order to survive, you're normalizing it. Right. You're making it fine, okay, so that you can keep going. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't trying to like rock their world. I was just trying to plant the seed for this because maybe, and these were teenagers. Right. So maybe in another 10 years, they're sitting in someone's office like this and they're going, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's not normal that I went through that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of things that you went through that were not normal, mm-hmm. but you normalize them so you can make sense of them and keep going. If we had to stop and be like devastated by everything that happened to us, and arguably, I mean, you, you told me a couple of things at 16 and 17 that happened with your mom, mm-hmm. one hands-on right there, the other by phone, like nothing normal about that. Right. Those are experiences nobody, no teenager should ever have to have, right? right? Incredibly impactful. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could just stop everything and go, wait, let me figure out what this means, what this feels like, what do I do with this? How do I relate to people this way? And yeah, no way. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I normalized it. Yeah. We do that to keep going, which you did beautifully, man. Yeah. Beautifully. <laughs> Even if now you go, yeah, but I wish I did that. Shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right. You did great yeah. to get to where you are. That's why if we look back, we look back with compassion for what we went through, right. you know, mm-hmm. not with disdain for how we did it mm-hmm. or like, ah. yeah, I think the the thing that kept me going too was the thing I always told myself was other people go through shit too. And I kind of put it in perspective for myself of like, well, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to me? And what's the worst thing that's ever happened to this person? We both put it in perspective that that's the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you might feel the same way about breaking an arm or something like that. And that's like, oh, my God, that's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. That's the most pain I've ever felt. And so that's your your spectrum of pain. Yeah. And so I just feel like that's my spectrum of pain, you know. So it, it's more so that I don't think it's worse or, or better than anything that anybody else has been through. Yeah. But that's my level of where I can go. I love that, man. Mm-hmm. I really do. Because that's going, this is my subjective experience and my frame of reference. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else, the worst thing for them might have been, I broke my arm and I couldn't play hockey this year. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not whatever. Yeah. But it's going, oh, that's your spectrum. Mm-hmm. That's where you are with it. Okay. You know, going, all of our experiences are, are relative, mm-hmm. you know? whatever your own subjective experience is real for you and whatever that emotion is, Mm -hmm. is universal. So we each have felt the same thing Mm -hmm. on a different spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, no, mine is worse because I found my mom's body and you just broke your arm. Mm -hmm. No, it's, oh, right. We both have this emotion and can relate on that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what's really powered me to like, going back to the vulnerability thing, it's like I can open up, I think really well, Mm-hmm. because I have that frame of reference of like, okay, this is what really hurt me, but let's talk about what hurt you. You know, so like I can connect on that level uh, of realizing that like, like pain is pain no matter what you've been through. 
And so it's like, I think I've used that more as like an empowerment thing hmm. versus like a, oh, pity me, pity me. It's like, that's really like driven me to go help and want to just talk to people. You know, I, I think that at the end of the day, like that's why I'm here. And like that's the whole point of my life is like, I've gone through what I've gone through to go help other people that are going through either something similar or something that's like completely different, but we can both relate like a certain like feeling or, or, or instance. And, and I think, yeah. I think it's a good thing. You know, I, I think it was shit to go through. And I think to your point, like nobody should go through it, but I did. And like, that's my reality. Mm-hmm. And so I need to figure out like what that looks like. I need to figure out my own shit first, obviously, and, and how I deal with it. And, and I, I mean, like all this shit is kind of catching up with me now. Because to your point, like I've normalized it and I've just been like, okay, let's, let's keep going, let's keep going. And, and I'm at a point in my life now where it's like, oh, fuck, like that isn't normal, you know? And Yeah. And I hear you kind of going, wait, but I don't want to go back to any of that. I don't want to shift entirely. It's just incorporating that as part of my story, mm-hmm. right? Not mm-hmm. running from it, right. you know, and, and I'll tell you, i got a little time. I'll tell you this little yeah. tidbit. Uh, a kid I worked with, in South Central, a long time ago. She was 15 at the time, probably older than you now. But at the time, she was showing me some vulnerability and she had this poster on her wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did home visits, so Mm -hmm. I was in people's homes, right? She had this poster on her wall. Fuck, I don't even remember who it was. (laughs) I mean, the the equivalent would be like now if it was like BTS on her wall. (laughs) Um, And she took down the poster and showed me that there was a big crack Mm -hmm. in the wall in her room. And it was where I think uh, maybe two years before her dad had slammed her into the wall Mm -hmm. and it cracked. She was abused. Dad was out of the picture at this point. Might've been longer ago than that, but regardless, she had just covered it up with a poster, Mm -hmm. but she knew it was there. Mm -hmm. Right. And she was super cool, super creative. She drew a lot. So I had this idea and we had talked about incorporating things into your life and a part of your story and how it, it just shapes who you are. It isn't entirely who you are. And I went out and I got her a big frame that was just a frame. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, we're going to put this on the wall. And I want you to turn that crack into something. And I got her those uh, like charcoal, black charcoal mm-hmm. pencils, right? Mm-hmm. Like just turn it into something. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens. Might have been the next week, might have been a little longer. I don't remember. She had turned it into this like geometric thing and looked almost like a willow tree or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, dripping stuff and things everywhere. And you could see where the crack was because it was different. But I mean, she had really artistically put something together that was like, it was really cool. I mean, as a designer, like you probably appreciate like, cool, right? Yeah. And it was. And, you know, I was like, look, we can put the BTS poster back up there or we can do this. She was like, do that. Mm -hmm. Like, why? She said, because I made it. Right. Like you made it out of what? It's like, out of that crack. Like, mm-hmm. okay, so now when you look at it, what do you see? She says, I see me. Mm-hmm. You know, she saw everything, including the crack, yeah. not just the crack and not covering up the crack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What do you think of that story? Yeah, I I, um, I think it, it's very interesting and, and it almost relates to me in the sense of like, I do cover up a lot of my story right now because I don't know how to deal with it. And so, like, I don't want to just spew out what's in my head to people because it's like, I don't, I don't even know what that looks like right now. But on the flip side, it's like, I know it's going to be a beautiful story in the long run. It's just a matter of drawing that picture and, and figuring out how to not cover it up, but turn it into 
art and right. into beauty, into love. Strength. Right. And vulnerability. And being able to look at it, because going back, like like when I do think about it, it's like I feel to relate to her, she would just see the crack at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, see, I feel like right now I just see the crack. I don't see that picture. And so drawing that picture now is kind of what I want to do and, and figure out yeah. how to draw it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And not have to feel like I need to put a poster over it. But I feel like right now I do. I definitely feel like, I, like in a big way, I feel like I, I still have my poster up, you yeah. know? True. True. I mean, that's partly why you came here. We right. scratched at it a little bit last week. We'll look more at it. I told you, you're in good hands, man. Yeah. We will do this. Yeah. Okay. You know, we can do this. Mm-hmm. And where you are in your life, and I just saw you take a little breath mm-hmm. in and be like, all right, yeah. take that exhale too. Mm-hmm. You know, where you are in your life is going, all right, well, what picture do I want for myself? Because right. that 24-7 mentality that, okay, and you can find balance in that, but I want to make sure we're not running from something, mm-hmm. that we didn't just cover it up and we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're, we're able to see it as a vulnerability and strength, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and our image, our picture that we create. Right. And that might take a little time to navigate and figure out. Mm-hmm. And we will there we go. There's, mm-hmm. there's a better breath right there. <laughs> you know, we'll find that. Yeah. I mean, you're at the right place for it. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Definitely. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I'm excited for where you are because this is where you actually get to have some control right. and some agency in your own life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even just after our, our first session last week, like walking out of here, I felt, I felt in control, you know, mm. I feel like for the first time where I was like, okay, I get this. Like it's going to be a process. It's going to be a long haul, but like, this is the start and I'm super excited just to start. I can't wait to kind of see what happens long-term. And, and I already felt, I felt like I had tools to walk out with. And that I could incorporate yeah. into my like day to day life, and, and I think going back to the start of this is like I I'm really slowing down on a, mm. on a like I'm still going to move for seven. It's always going to be fast. Like that that is sure. what it is. But yeah. like within that, like I can take steps to slow down. And like like the other day, I was working out, and like I I started like having anxiety and like thinking and like all this stuff. And usually the gym's like my serenity where I can just be by myself and do what I need to do. Right, like complete control in there. Right. Yep. And so I. I was on Instagram. I was just flipping through it, just trying to like get my mind off of it. And then like a, a the Calm app pops up and I'm like, okay. And so I download <laughs> it. And so I, I listened to the 12 minute like thing of like, just breathe, like take the steps just to, to, yeah. f- to feel your head, to feel your hands, to think about it, like be where you are right now. Yeah. And that really helped me stop and like think like I haven't stopped and thought about my fingertips in months. You know what I mean? Like I, I, it's like little things like that where it's like I stopped, I took a couple deep breaths, and I, yeah. I thought about the actual fingertips, like like my feet, my, just sitting there and feeling that was like okay, like this feels good, this nice. this feels comfortable. Yeah, you know, so like it, it was nice. I like that. It's great because that's that's in part yeah. mindfulness. You know, I mean, it, it was it was being mindful and being present. Yeah, and I think I'm becoming more aware. You know, and just yeah. like the talking of bringing stuff up and, and like for me right now, the biggest thing I'm taking out of this is like do what ifs in a positive way, you know, across, I mean, in a relationship, but also in like my job and like, oh, yeah, like, across like the board, everything, you know, it's like yeah. that. That's my new frame of reference of like, OK, let's, let's what if positively for this next week and kind of see what happens. And not and remember, it's it's not instead of what if negative, right? It's in addition to. Right. Just to create that balance, just to create a more even playing field. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And we'll see how it takes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Definitely. It's cool, man. Awesome. So I love this session. I actually was very engaged. And one of the things I thought was, God, this kid is, he seems so young for all this introspection, even that he Mm. came with just like, right. Just really. We're also really old. That could be it too. (laughs) That is, that could definitely, (laughs) definitely be it. So I think before the session, we ended with, you know, the idea of people picking up certain things from this from what they're listening to. And one of the things he started talking about in the beginning was how he likes being like on the back end. He specifically said, Mm. instead of the red carpet. Right. And, you know, immediately I thought, God, that reminds me so much of me. And the best metaphor I can think of is that anytime I go, I went to like a party or a wedding or out to dinner, I would always go for the bus boy not the owner of the restaurant, <laughs> not some wealthy guy sitting there. Right. And just always, for lack of a better term, like rooting for the underdog. Mm. And not that the busboy is an underdog, but- Were, for, were you in a, did you see yourself as an underdog? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I And I, you know, is there a reason I do this? I know that I think initially it gets less attention, right? Like yeah. I would be getting less attention in the moment for- going out with the bus boy rather than the owner of the restaurant that gets a lot more attention. And in the long run, I think I end up getting the attention for why am I making that choice? Right. Does that make sense? It does. I'm glad you didn't go for the groom. That would have been awkward. You know, it would have been. <laughs> it. But that same, same thing for me, I think about when I was in the music business, I remembered it was great to talk to the artists and to be around like, you know, the heavyweights and all that. But I really felt more at home with the crew, right? like the production exactly. people. Exactly. Like these are, you know, like the grunts, like, yeah, but I'm a grunt. Like, I like that. Right. And it was, I mean, I could wear both hats and not yep. like that, but hearing him talking about that and you talking about that, there's something I'm sure that we see in ourselves that feels safer to be in that mode right. than be in another mode that feels like we're playing outside of our ability or something. A hundred percent. Even when I was a lawyer, uh, you know, instead of going out to lunch every day with the partners, I would hang out with the file clerks mm. just, yep. and I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is I've, no matter how old I get, I'm still like a little kid right. or younger or, and they do more fun things, you right. know, 19 year old file clerks than the 55 <laughs> year old men. But yeah, it was interesting to hear him say that. Cause that was the first thing I thought of and nothing wrong with it. There's no, you know, I, this, yeah. There's no judgment behind what I'm saying. I know that there's other people have judgment, whether it's the busboy or the owner or the chef or the valet. I don't give a shit. Totally. And he's he's realizing like, and, and people are just people and, and they're drawn to me no matter who they are because I'm real. Right. Right. And it's, it's refreshing. I think even uh, the night before this session, he was out at a party with a bunch of celebrities and, and famous people and- that's why he was starting to say like, you know, I feel more comfortable with, you know, the working people, Mm -hmm. not with the, but I'm comfortable with either of them. And I think what I was trying to bring out a little bit in him was looking at when you're comfortable with yourself, doesn't matter who you're with. Right. Right. When you truly have that integrity and authenticity, then it comes out everywhere you go. And that resonates with people and people are drawn to that themselves. Right. Absolutely. One of the things that he said 
I mean, I literally wrote down word for word because mm. I thought it was, he said, if I can be who I want to be on a day-to-day basis, then days will turn into weeks, which will turn into months, into years. And then I'll find myself where I want to be in five years. Yeah. I was like, okay, buddy, you're done with therapy. <laughs> what? Huh? Right. I mean, mindfulness, being present, engaged in the moment that was so eloquent and yeah, great. Right. Right. I remember hearing, I think I heard it from a movie called Ghost Dog with Forrest Whitaker, who was saying like, life is just a series of moments, you know, and if you take each one and string it together, that's how you have life. So be present in each moment for what it is. It's, it's nothing new, but I, I remembered it yeah. from that movie. It's, it's what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's that mindfulness. It's that truly being present. And he was saying it as a good, it's funny when I heard it in real time, I'm thinking days turn into weeks. Turn, Cause when most people use that kind of language. Oh, right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah they're like, Oh, just God, drags I'll, on. Just drag, right. Yeah. But he was saying it as if I'm doing this and I'm doing this right yeah. and well, yep. which means according to his, his own integrity and his own ability to be authentic and present. Mm-hmm. Then the next thing you know, he'll be there in five years. Right. 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 And the reality of, you know, I live my life in, I try to balance, like I could die tomorrow and also I could live another 70 years. Mm. It's very difficult. You know, I tend to err more on the, I could die tomorrow. My sister's errs much more on the planning ahead, responsible, which is great. I mean, there's pros and cons to both, but it is, and people ask me out, clients ask me all the time, like, how do I balance those? I'm like, I don't know. Just, you got to just try it. You know, you got to be responsible and still try to live a fulfilling life. Right. And it's not easy. For you and your authenticity, not by someone else's rules or someone else's barometer for that. Right. Yeah. And I tend to think of balance as it's not, you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum or one extreme and the other it's finding that place. That's a little more center. If you think of the, the seesaw is just going to go up and down. If you're bouncing between one and the other, when you can bring it more towards center, you're still going to seesaw a little bit, but in a much more centered way, that to me is balance. It's not one or the other or one and the other. Right. Right. Well, and, and you talked a lot about uh, black or white thinking with, with him and, One of the things that a friend of mine, Megan, also a therapist, told me was black and white. We talk about living in the gray. And also, you know, in DBT, there's something called walking the middle path. And it isn't there isn't gray. There is plaid. Hmm. Right. So you take the black, you take the white, you weave them together. Doesn't have to be the blend in the middle. It doesn't have to be that neutral zone per se. You can have sort of, you can have both. It doesn't have to be either or. Right. So instead of being in the gray, you can still take the black and the white and weave them together and have both at the same time. Maybe, you know, one will come now, one will come later, but we don't have to live in that gray zone. Yeah. A lot also of, of what therapy really is, is not just telling you that, but highlighting that for you as it comes up. Mm -hmm. I think even the next session that you're going to hear, there's something that I use to highlight that just matter of perspective and that both perspectives, whether it's good and bad, good or bad, both of them exist all the time. It's whatever our perspective is at the time. And in therapy, you're not just highlighting that concept. 
you're highlighting it for them at a time when they're processing it, when they're understanding it, when they're experiencing it. So it gives it a little deeper meaning because you can hear what we're saying right now and go, oh, that's cool. That makes sense. And if you apply it to your own life, that's fantastic. That's kind of what we're trying to do. But it's really hearing from therapist and client together what in real time is going on in your life and how you're applying it and how difficult it is or easy it is or the progress that you're making with seeing things differently or experiencing things differently, you know, or not. Like I said, it's it's kind of struggling when it's not different, but you're seeing some of these things. And it's therapy can be a place where you you know, kind of work out that muscle like you'd work out at the gym, right? I think you did a, such a good job of making hip hop feel like wanting reassurance is, is okay and normal and not needy. You know, at some point he referred to himself as being the emotional one in the relationship and right. and how you just did, I don't know, such a great job of validating him and the difference between, you know, him getting his needs met as opposed to being needy. Right. That's sort of what came across for me and him feeling that he shouldn't need the reassurance and validation. And for all of those of you who are new to therapy out there, we talk about shooting all over yourself <laughs> and uh, right the should versus the should not, you know, they're not really being any shoulds. So don't should all over yourself. Right. Yep. And that that's one of those, you know, in the, the, 10 cognitive distortions, the 10 unhelpful ways of thinking. Shoulding is, is one of them. Mm-hmm. I should have done this. Oh, if only I did this. Oh, man. It, it's setting yourself up to fail. It's shooting all over yourself. It, it's a horrible feeling. And uh, thank you. I, I appreciate you saying I did well with that because it really was hearing that part of what came up for me was you know needing reassurance in the relationship Right. He's been cheated on in the past. So that's part of his pattern. That's part of why he's seeking that. It's reinforcing for himself that I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. That goes back to the separation anxiety, somebody leaving him, anything like that. Like they're all wrapped up in each other. And I'm hearing that and just going, yeah, of course, of course you'd need reassurance. That's okay. You know, I don't want to take that away from him. There's a need underneath that of needing to know that I'm okay and not feeling okay. And that's something, you know, to kind of highlight at some point, we weren't going to necessarily dig in full depth at that right then and there, but it's on my radar for him. Like that's, that's big for him and big about, you know, needing that sense of control, not knowing what's going on. He even said something about, I want her to know what's, what's in my head and what's going on for me. Like, hmm, yeah, and you want to know what's going on for her. It's that not knowing that's so uncomfortable for so many of us. Right, right. right. There were just so many really insightful things that you talked about that, you know, I actually, I mean, I could tell, we could all tell he loved the, we play the what if game by the wrong rules. Right. And again, you and I have talked about this, just the inherent, you know, you talk about how you go to the negative. And for me, right. I am careful with using negative versus positive because, you know, first of all, what's quote unquote negative for one person is different for someone else. And maybe it's just the, it's the same as good and bad. Maybe it's just go to effective. the ine- ineffective or right. effective thing. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. How often do we play the, actually I talk about 
I don't talk about what if I say when I win the lottery, (laughs) (laughs) right? My niece and nephew, they know I'm going to win it. Right. Um, but yeah, how often do any of us say, well, what if everything turns out amazing? Right. We, we don't, but that's part of our nature is, you know, very primitive, very, that primal instinct of needing to protect ourselves. You know, that's where defense mechanisms come from. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of this is fight or flight. We're looking out for what's a threat to us and we need to protect ourselves from those threats. So we'll be okay. The problem is our, our, you know, reptilian brains still think that we're constantly in a state of threat and not okay. And it's, it's being able to find some sense of, no, you are okay. You don't feel okay. And that's, that's something we walk through and you don't just hear that and go, oh, that clicks into place. Got it. Right. It's something that over time you'll experience differently than you have in the past. And you really brought it, you said to him, is this really a threat or unsafe or does it just remind you of a time where you were? Right. And he was like, oh yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Totally clicked. Because we, we go right back to that, that place of feeling threatened and feeling not okay. And we don't have the benefit of remembering, all right. And I made it through. Right. And it, it actually is okay. Right. And it, it, it just, it's so terrifying in that moment. And you did say looking back at, with compassion for what we went through, not the disdain of how we went through it or how we I did it. I should have done it differently. Exactly. I should have known that. Right. And and that's where I kind of go, no, you shouldn't have. Like how? How? Right. Your programming, your brain was programmed differently. We can now help rewire your brain. And this is how it starts. And as long as we don't hold ourselves to an unreachable and unreasonable standard of that, and we give ourselves some time to work up to it and to experience things differently, that's great. You know, we're, we're making progress. And the Mark Twain quote you threw out, by the way, brilliant. And I love how you said, I'm not well-read. Obviously you are. No, so. not at all. Well, somehow you knew that quote. Uh, I've suffered a great many catastrophes in my life. None of them have come true. Right. I can only imagine how much everyone can relate to that. Yeah. I mean, when you said that, I just started laughing. I was like, oh, yeah. Right. Half right. of them are just these things that I tell myself are going to happen. Isn't that kind of the nature of anxiety? It's worry about something that hasn't come true, that yep. hasn't happened yet, something in the future. And we take our whole system through all those negative what ifs and all that negative tension, all that stress. We, we run through that in our heads and it feels horrible. That's why anxiety is horrible because we, we give ourselves the experience of all those catastrophes. Right. And the reality is only one thing is actually going to happen. And that one thing might not even be a negative thing, might not be a positive thing. It will just be a thing. Right. It's the buildup. Right. Right. Exactly. It's like going to the dentist. (laughs) Which I actually oddly don't mind, but used to be terrified about. I I don't mind either. I took 12 years off from dentistry for a while. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. I go every three to four months. That's a lot that way. (laughs) (laughs) I like clean teeth. (laughs) So you can all land somewhere in between 12 years and three months. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I want to know how many listeners out there, as soon as Doug started telling the story about the crack in the wall, found a crack, drew on it, <laughs> and framed it. Because that fucking story brought tears to my eyes. Oh. So good. So good. It also made me wonder and think about, for me, how much I miss being hands-on like that. Mm. How much 
I wish so often with my clients, I could be like, let's go to your house, find a crack and draw on it. Right. It's different. Yeah. And, and that's, it's funny. Cause I was trying to think back to, we shared a client or two at the agency when mm-hmm. I left and you took over. I was like, was that her? No, that wasn't her, but it was a different time in our lives to kind of approach the work in that way where we were in their homes and seeing them that way. And I love being able to tell this guy about that story because he can now take it oh, and yeah. own his version of it. I mean, we all can own a version of it. And I don't care if you actually frame a crack in your wall, but it's, we all have cracks in our armor, cracks in how we think we should be and in, in how we think we should present ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's all those great songs that are about you're beautiful, you know, as you are now. I mean, you really are when you own it and frame yourself in that way. And those perfect imperfections. That kid at the end of his session Hmm. said, after the first session, I felt like I had tools to walk out with. Right. And I was like, okay, Doug's done here. This is fucking amazing. Like the (laughs) fact that some, a client says that must be heartwarming. It's nice. I also think, well, that was like the first one or two sessions. I'm like, that's cool. I'm going to keep that on my radar and go, all right, really? Is he, is he really using, you know, that, is that coming up? And not that I don't believe him at all. Right. Like that sounds similar to, I'm not saying this guy at all, but similar to clients that are depressed and go on an antidepressant and go, wow, I don't feel as depressed anymore. This is great. I think I'm done. Like, yeah, no, but it's just the way that he said it. He literally said, I have tools to use. Right. I mean, just, just the, I don't know. It was the way he said it. And he, I think he did, can't remember what now, but he did say, so after that first session, X, Y, Z, and then I can't remember what he said, but, um, he did implement something and it just was his excitement feeling connected to you. And that's what it's really about. Oh. Cause in the beginning with him, I'm not looking to give him tools to make his life better right now. Right. That'd be great. Sure. But like I said, I'd have some skepticism of if that will take, what I'm really looking for is, are we building our rapport, our trust, you know, in how we're relating with each other? And how this journey is going to go. Right. And he seems to be somebody, like you said, is really enthusiastic and is really taking this stuff. And you will hear as we go how these things stick. And it's it's pretty amazing and partly why we love our jobs so much because we get to see the progress. We get to see them week after week, you know, kind of using the stuff that we talk about in their actual lives. And kind of hope that you guys might get some stuff out of this and start using it in your lives too. And we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, we absolutely. So send emails, keep sending them. We'll keep responding. And, and what do we have coming up next week? Interesting. Cause I, I couldn't remember if it was coming up in what you just heard and clearly not, but definitely in the next week, you are going to hear the story about his brother. Ooh, fuck, um, finally, I've been wanting to know. Right. And kind of what went on there and some of the frames of reverence that he keeps with him of, of loss, of trauma, of things that have happened in his life where the root of a lot of the separation anxiety that I've talked about, where that is, where that lies. Awesome. Very excited. Stick around okay. uh, and subscribe to this. Rate us, review us, do whatever you're supposed to do. Tell us how much you love or hate us because it's only <laughs> black and white. That's right. There's no middle way here. No middle way. Keep the plaid away from us. 